You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Before we start the episode, I'm announcing the new Ruby on Rails podcast store. We've got some really fun original designs like Tell Me Your Developer Origin Story, Ruby is Badass, Ruby on Tails, and the Establish in Rails series in shirts, hoodies, magnets, stickers, and bandanas. This is great gear for conferences coming up and, of course, for Zoom calls. Net proceeds of store purchases benefit September to raise funds for research and innovation to bring science to life and change what's possible for cerebral palsy. From Wednesday, September 14th through Saturday, September 17th, all customers get free standard shipping on all orders. This does include international standard shipping. Link to the store is in the show notes, or you can visit therubyonrailspodcast.com and click on store. Thanks for supporting a great cause. On to the show. You're listening to episode 435, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Joel Schlund is a senior technology leader out of Northern Indiana. During his 25-year career, he has had the opportunity to work on a large variety of software engineering projects covering a wide range of languages and technology stacks. Joel has helped build and run software engineering, QA, data analytics, and infrastructure teams, and loves helping technology groups grow and scale. Away from technology, Joel spends time with his wife and three daughters, planning the next family trip to Disney, playing and collecting vintage video games, and wishing he was better at home renovation projects. Listeners, you asked for it, and my boss is here. (laughs) Welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast, Joel. Thanks for having me, Brittany. Well, Joel, I haven't heard this myself, so I'm going to be hearing it for the first time with the listeners. What is your developer origin story? Sure. So I actually got started pretty early. My father was an early adopter, so we had all kinds of technology in the house. And so I was actually able to start with computers at a very young age. And this was also at a time where personal computers weren't as prevalent in households. So I felt really lucky. And I Got really engaged. I remember watching my parents actually type in basic code from some of the early programming magazines in our first home computer and started programming myself after that. Got into it really in elementary school as well. I showed off for the teachers and built apps that would display their names and class information. And they thought that was the best thing ever and let me have as much computer time as I wanted. From there, just continued on that path throughout school, then got into college and computer science was a really natural fit for me and just went from there. So as a follow-up to that question, what is your CTO origin story then? So this was definitely not the type of position that I thought I would end up with. In all honesty, I, throughout my professional career, always looked for situations or new opportunities to learn or try something new. This started out with my first job out of school. I befriended our systems administrator and started to learn what he did on a regular basis and help support our team in that way. Got me exposed to a whole nother area of technology that I never really expected to get a chance to experience. And throughout my career, I've done a lot of that. So a new project would come up and I'd volunteer to help out or work on it. There were situations then where I was offered to run projects or be in charge of new initiatives. And I jumped at the chance. And then over the course of time, was given the opportunity to start running and leading teams and then entire departments. And I always thought that this was a way for me just to get new experiences, but it also gave me an opportunity to meet and get to know other people, learn new technologies, and really open a lot of doors for me. 
Do you feel that taking the management track was something required during your career? Because you probably saw like the idea of being able to scale up as an IC as something as an opportunity that probably opened up while you were in your career. Is that true? Yeah. So this is one of the frustrating things about a lot of technology organizations. Too often, the only way to advance is through a management path. I took a a much different kind of track, looking for different opportunities and different skills to build and kind of ended up there. But too often you get to a senior level developer and then your next real option is management only. And that's something I've seen repeatedly in a lot of the organizations I've had direct experience with, and it's really prevalent in the industry. And that's something that I've worked really hard in my leadership positions to make sure that there are parallel paths for folks too. So it's not just a management path, but you have a more technical track that again, you can do some newer and different things and some specialization. I couldn't agree more. So you're the current CTO of Texas. And as the listeners know, Texas is on the React and Rails stack. Do you have previous experience managing developers on that stack? Yes, I have. And would you recommend it? <laughs> it's a key <laughs> question here. <laughs> I think the stack is a good one. React is super prevalent in industry, kind of the go-to standard right now. In Rails as a platform, I have seen a lot of different tech stacks come and go during my time. And I've never seen one that quite has the developer mindshare that Ruby and Rails does. Is there anything that you wish that, because you've worked in so many different stacks, is there anything that you wish that Ruby on Rails did better? Or do you wish it was easier to hire in like any wish list items on there? Sometimes in Ruby in particular, in Rails, I think there's a lot of magic where you can get a crazy amount of work done with very, very little code. But sometimes in those situations, it hides some of the complexity. And I wish it was a little bit more explicit with some of the things that were going on behind the scenes. And I've seen the same conversation about where does my business logic go (laughs) (laughs) repeatedly. And, you know, there are times where I wish the community would be a little bit more explicit about some of those larger problems. I agree. Now, we've done this on the show before, and I wanted to kind of play around with you, Joel, and that's just getting some hot takes from you. And I'm going to list out a couple topics and see how you answer. So first one is a lot of the top managers were in the right place at the right time. Going back to making your own sort of opportunities or being able to reach out and try new things, I think you make your own luck. And I think in a lot of situations, I think people... They have been at the right place at the right time, but it was because they put themselves there. I like that. So basically don't stagnate just because you're happy right now. Continue to network and see what's going out there. Just because something's working right now doesn't mean it's going to work forever. You never know where you might find an opportunity that's super interesting or exciting once you get into it. Agreed. Next one. You can't change a bad manager or team lead. So this goes back to the conversation we just had about management only pass. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of situations when there are bad managers or bad leads that they probably shouldn't have been managers or leads in the first place. And this may have been the only opportunity they saw for growth or advancement in their careers. And I think it's really tough to put somebody into a management position that really isn't ready for it or good at it and have them be successful. Agreed. And then the next one I'm very curious in because this is a role that I have not had myself, but you've had it. And it's a role that we don't talk about too much as developers, but I thought it was interesting. So the statement is, director roles are the worst at any company. I don't necessarily believe that. I think that director level 
into senior manager level also acts as the glue for a lot of organizations Mm -hmm. and they can help that work and connect different teams and groups super effectively if given the chance. I think it's so funny. I think director can be so nebulous because you can end up being the most ridiculous director of something like director of DNS or just some weird, very funny niche that you just happen to fall into. And I think when you fall into that, it becomes really hard to progress upwards and becomes really difficult in terms of who you manage and whatnot. So I completely agree that it often becomes the glue. This episode is brought to you by Honey Badger. Whether you need to let your users know of upcoming downtime for system maintenance or something more serious like a multi-week security incident, public status pages are awesome for building transparency and trust with your users. Honey Badger now has a new status page feature, incident management. What's even better? Incident management is already included in all of Honey Badger's current plans for free. I also wanted to remind you, dear listeners, how great the Honey Badger blog is. The recent articles on full-text search and Elasticsearch and comparing React component libraries are now in my bookmarks. Head on over to honeybadger.io to learn more. Okay, so last one. People don't have bad ideas, but instead the best ideas are based on their context. I think there's some truth to that statement. A lot of this is from your particular perception and viewpoint around an idea when you're able to kind of step back and really look at ideas from a different vantage point can be really educational and enlightening. And typically the best types of collaboration happen when people are able to step back and really take what may have been a bad or a crazy or a different idea and look at it from a different viewpoint. I agree. One thing that I'm really sensitive about is when a developer leaves the company and a couple years later, you're reviewing their code and you're like, why would they do this? This is insane. And you have to step into the context of this was what was available in the ecosystem at the time. They didn't know which direction the product was going to grow. We didn't know we had to scale in this direction or we didn't know we were going to go into this particular niche. And so I don't love it when people use the people who've left the company as like the scapegoat for like past decisions. I think it would be rare if anybody would ever look back at code they've written a year ago, two years ago, and think it's good code. I think it's a healthy way to look at it that you, even though you might come up with the most ideal solution today, you're going to end up having to refactor at some point. I mean, just look how fast Ruby on Rails moves. I mean, how much custom code has everyone written around features that eventually became part of the framework? Maybe it was a good idea at the time to roll, let's say, your own storage solution. So everybody was using different gems in order to store and share audio and image files. And then, you know, eventually the framework introduced a feature that made that inherent. So seems like a good idea to probably just use the framework defaults, right? Exactly. So you've said to me a couple times, I've built feature XYZ several times. So I know how this can go well or wrong. And so I'm curious, Joel, over your spans of your career, what features do you feel that you've built several times? So JavaScript frameworks, that one comes to mind. First, it seems like everybody has done a lot of that, especially if there's any sort of front-end development going on. Workflow systems in orchestration, templating systems, visual layout. And then one of my favorites is the never-aging string libraries. Oh, yes. So is the string library the one that you would never want to build again? That one. And then I've also had to build custom reporting layout languages a number of times. And I definitely wouldn't want to do that again if I could avoid it. So for me, I would like to never 
build a custom admin interface ever again. And I would like to never hand roll a content management system ever again. Oh yeah, CMSs. Can't forget those. Oh, CMSs. <laughs> they are so, so necessary, but it feels like a solved problem. Yet every other week, another CMS is out there saying like, we finally got it. We have the ultimate CMS. Okay, so Texas is currently hiring a, another senior backend developer. This time it's with a twist. So they will be involved in hiring a junior engineer for them to mentor once they're onboarded, which I'm super excited about. And you really came up with the idea for this. So why did you suggest this pairing? I've had a lot of success with teams where we've been able to bring in more junior engineers in and really help mentor them. This is an important piece of the industry that I think is overlooked in a lot of situations. There are lots of folks out there that are perfectly capable, may have come from non-traditional backgrounds and would be great additions to the team. And being able to pair them with a more senior engineer to provide a level of mentorship really benefits both of the individuals as well as the team. And I've done this on a number of occasions and had these folks go on and do great things. So I've had kind of alumni from my teams go off and work for some of the large tech orgs, the Amazons, Googles, GitHub, GitLab, Activision, Comcast, Snapchat. So these folks can be very, very successful. And I've seen it repeatedly. And the big thing though, for junior engineering, in my perspective, is again, having a really strong support system. And that comes with a senior engineer there, help them along the way. And I think it's really important also for senior engineers to help expand and grow professionally, to be able to mentor people. And again, so we can avoid some of those same mistakes, like building yet the next CMS system. <laughs> and I think it's a really good pairing. The other thing that I think really helps too is encourage more diversity on engineering teams. This is something that I've been really concerned with for a long time. And to be able to bring in more junior level engineers really enables teams to become more diverse much more quickly. I agree with you, especially because if you bring a junior engineer in, you have an interesting dynamic where they don't have any habits from past companies. And so that can be a good or a bad thing. But if you are doing development in a certain way, then like the junior engineer gets quickly ramped up on that way. And so you have to be careful to make sure that they're getting a holistic view of what development is in general. But I love the idea that even if you don't want to be a manager, it's still really important that senior and staff engineers are able to mentor because that's how we're going to keep growing out this community, especially in Ruby, just because it can be so hard to get a Ruby job as a junior. Exactly. So we're getting ready for our engineering offsite in Chicago, which I'm super excited about. So Jill, I'm curious what your take is. What's the point of an offsite when all of our engineers currently work remotely? I'm a huge proponent of remote teams and remote work, but I do find that the best teams are ones that can get together on a semi-regular basis. There is no really good alternative to face-to-face -face communication and just being in the same room. You don't have to do it a lot, but it also helps build stronger team bonds and some greater empathy for folks to be able to get together in person. And it's also nice to have some fun together as well. Yeah. How much of the offsite should be devoted to doing actual work versus the bonding part of it? I think there's a decent mix that you can have. And the team bonding can come in several different ways. There can be some fun activities. There can be some ways to learn about each other a little bit more. 
And, you know, it's also a good time to get together and talk about some of the bigger problems that you might be facing as a team. It's great to have a whiteboard and to be able to do some whiteboarding and to work through some code specifically. What I usually like to do is have some larger team time where the entire group is together and then split off into some smaller groups and then have some fun time designated so we can kind of put the laptops away and enjoy each other's company. Agreed. Well, you heard that, listeners. Joel and I are both proponents of whiteboarding with the team, but not whiteboard interviews. <laughs> so. so our team is now at 17. How do we ensure that everyone participates at the offsite? The big thing for participation, especially in larger groups, is to make sure that everyone understands it's, it's a safe space. And then again, a callback, there are no bad ideas or bad questions in that space. And to give everyone a chance to speak. If we can create that safe space, people are generally more engaged and willing to participate. For those folks that may be a little bit shy still, I do like to encourage them along with the conversation and ask them specific questions or to participate a little bit more directly if we need to. Yeah, I struggle with that bit a little bit because we do have some team members that tend to be kind of quiet. And I always wonder, do they want to be called on or do I need to create some sort of mechanism where they can provide anonymous feedback than then I can be the face for? So that way they feel comfortable sharing that kind of information. Do you have any experience with handling that kind of situation? Sure. In those types of situations, again, if the team is respecting the safe space and everyone in the room even the shyer people will tend to speak out more readily. Sometimes I do like to have some rules of the discussion or set some boundaries for folks. It also is important to have a strong moderator for those conversations. Mm -hmm. In those situations too, if I do know that there's a person that might be a little bit more shy or reserved in those situations, I may seed the group with the questions or topics that we're going to be discussing. I may seek them out prior to see and gather some feedback from them ahead of time and to encourage them to participate. And then depending on the situation, there may be some opportunities to have that back channel via Slack to help kind of push some newer ideas from them as well. I agree. I think you need to create some sort of queuing system. As engineers, I have to suggest that. If everyone starts to speak at once, then you kind of want to have that moderator. And I think that's such a good point, Joel. You do need to have a good moderator in this situation, especially with 17 people. And so if everyone's speaking at once, you might be like, okay, Sue, you go first, Joe, you're next. And then Lauren, I hate to have a situation where, you know, you have to bring in the stuffed animal and throw it around. But in some ways, isn't that kind of a, a bonding, <laughs> you know, a bonding situation where you all laugh about who got bonked by the stuffed animal? Absolutely. And Giving everybody a chance and opportunity and making sure that the team respects that time that each person is speaking really goes a long way. When growing your team, you want to know that your Ruby apps keep running smoothly. Enter AppSignal, the easy to use application performance monitoring tool for everyone. Whether you're an industry veteran or just started coding, AppSignal provides clear and actionable insights for everyone from exceptions to M plus one queries and uptime monitoring. With embedded team features and integrations for GitHub, GitLab, and others, working together has never been easier. Visit appsignal.com slash ROR podcast for more information. As a listener of the Ruby on Rails podcast, you get a 10% discount and a box of sweet treats. That's appsignal.com slash ROR podcast. My absolute favorite is whenever you present a problem to the engineering team that seems like it's very specific to one department. So let's say it's like an ops problem. 
And then you have a front end engineer come out of nowhere with like suggestions or things that they've looked into. That's my absolute favorite where people don't feel like they have to be siloed into the department that they work in every day. It's great. And when you can get those kind of viewpoints as part of the discussion, it really enlightens everybody in the group and different perspectives are so important for those types of discussions. Agreed. So I have two questions left before we wrap up and we're getting into Halloween season and you have hinted several times around some horror stories from your career. So I was hoping I could tempt you into sharing at least one horror story. For my first job out of college, I was given the responsibility for kind of this key piece of technology for an app. And I was young, not very smart and made a lot of mistakes. (laughs) And one particular mistake actually brought our application down. And this was a desktop application that was supporting a rather large logistics company at the time. And we couldn't quickly and easily patch. We had to go through an operations team and there was a process. But in order to even talk to operations, we had to actually get our VP's approval. And we had to pull our department VP off of a plane he was boarding. Oh my God. um, (laughs) To get that approval and to get that fix sent out. And I learned a lot of things that day. Good dose of humility, for sure. I also have a great respect for our operations teams. They do really, really tough work under incredible circumstances. And it's always great to be good partners with your ops team because they're going to save your butt when you need it. And my manager was also very gracious and pulled me aside and explained to me what had happened and ways I could do a better job. And we had a really frank conversation, but it was really nice that he treated me with kindness and compassion. I was very frightened for my, (laughs) my job that day and he really settled those fears. I think that's such an important note to make that there are so many figures in your life that just show a subtle gesture of kindness and how much that can affect the trajectory. There could have been a situation, Joel, where that person was unkind to you and you're like, you know what? Engineering's not for me. And where would you be now? So important to step back. Remember, it's just software, but I can't imagine having an issue with a desktop application. I'm assuming it was waterfall deployment or the deployment process. That time did have a software distribution system that we oh, nice push out, but it was complex and it took a lot of moving pieces to get everything to work right. And it was a challenging deployment to say the least. Well, I appreciate you sharing that scary story. So lastly, I know you have a zoo at home. So can you tell the listeners all about your animals and maybe perhaps share who's your favorite? We have currently three cats. I have a long-haired grain right catch, Lily, and then my Dilute Tortie, Charlotte, and then Simon, my orange tabby, who could be a stand-in for Garfield. <laughs> and then I have two dogs, Hazel, who is a rescue, who is a mix of a lot of different things, and Molly, our miniature schnauzer, who looks like the cross between a little cow and a goat. And then we also have a toad now named Fred. Okay, I need the story behind where Fred the toad came from. <laughs> Fred was found in... My youngest daughter has had a history of these types of pets. So we've had a number of toads, a turtle, and a snake at one point. Wow. Okay. So my brother-in-law has probably about 30 snakes. And so my niece and nephew are just used to growing up in a world where they just have snakes draped on them. That's just a normal thing. And then for me, growing up, we would 
grab a coffee mug and scoop up tadpoles and then we would raise them into frogs and then we would release them back into the wild. So I just think it's so cool. What a neat zoo you have at home. Thank you. Joel, thank you so much for coming on today. Listeners, if you're interested in working with Joel and I at Texas, I will link it up in the show notes. So we do have that senior back-end position. So if you're interested in coming on and really mentoring a junior and keeping them in the Ruby community, that would be fantastic. So you know how to reach me and we'll link that all up in the show notes. Joel, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Brittany. I appreciate the invitation. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.